What's up, homies? Before we roll the episode, I just wanted to tell you about some exciting things happening at Higher Love Wellness. We are actually super proud to announce that we're launching our Watermelon Haze CBD Oil and CBD Wax. That will be coming out on July 7th on our website, higherlovewellness.com. This stuff is absolutely amazing. It's got that slight sweetness thanks to the organic monk fruit, as well as the other plant-derived terpenes, which give it this tangy, refreshing, and fruity flavor. So we're super happy about that. And again, that doesn't have any THC in it, so you don't have to worry about that at all. Also, on July 10th, we are doing a big concentrates-only sale. We're going to be giving you 30% off all of our CBD oils and CBD waxes that day. And that sale will run from midnight on July 9th all the way through midnight of July 10th. And again, this is like the biggest sale of the year when it comes to our concentrates and oils. So if you haven't tried our CBD wax before, or maybe you haven't tried a certain flavor of the CBD oil, now would be the time to check it out. Again, that'll be 30% off all concentrates and oils if you use code 710 at checkout. 710 will give you 30% off those items only. Again, you can check out all of these products and more on our website at higherlovewellness.com. Code is 710 for 30% off CBD oils and CBD wax, and that will begin at midnight on July 10th. We hope that you take advantage of the sale and just check out higherlovewellness.com. Let's get into the episode. Everybody. Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 167. Today we are looking into what I think is one of the most interesting Hollywood deaths of all time. I, I mean, I just think Natalie Wood was one of the most interesting people and in her whole life is interesting and in how all of this plays out. It's very suspicious almost. You yeah, know? it's a real mystery for sure. Yeah. Definitely a mystery to this day, one that I don't know if will ever be solved, but I don't know if there's a way to solve it. I don't know if there is either, but they say they're still working on it. Yeah. So. yeah that's what's wild is it's there's still new developments happening in yeah. recent years because this, I mean, happened quite a while ago. So. Yep. And this is one that Josh and I were into way before either of us were in true crime. We just when we used to just watch true crime on TV and we saw this case together, I remember and thought it was just insane. I've done a video on it. But there's even more, there's so much detail that we definitely wanted to do a podcast. And there's a lot of room for theories and speculation kind of in this one. So towards the end, we'll sort of share our personal thoughts yeah, and theories yeah. that we have. Yeah, I know. It's it's a wild one. Before we get into the case today, though, I do have a bit of an announcement I want to make. Oh, yeah, I'm you do. I'm very excited because I, I think I've alluded to something I've been working on for a while, another project of sorts. And a projects of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> but today I'm very happy to announce that I am launching yet another podcast. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> They're like, what is he doing? Like, now? now what? Well, not just any other podcast. This is gonna be something kind of completely different than all of our other content because mm -hmm. it is a podcast to help you relax and go to sleep. Because mm -hmm. apparently that's what I do to many of you already. <laughs> so <laughs> So I was like, you know, I took your guys' feedback and I'm like, well, I mean, God, if they're falling asleep to me talking about some of the most dark shit out there or crimes and whatever else, mm -hmm. maybe if I can kind of put together 
something more relaxing and soothing to listen to, maybe that will be a really good podcast. And that is definitely one of our top comments on pretty much every episode we've ever done is, oh, I always like fall asleep to this show. And then I watch it again the next day and get the information. (laughs) I totally relate to that because I fall asleep to not even relaxing voices. I will fall asleep to the most annoying shit (laughs) available. But Josh used to read to me when we were, well, actually it started even before that. When we were in high school, I would, we would fall asleep on the phone with each other all the time. (laughs) And he would read me like, you wouldn't even read. You would make me up stories. I wasn't reading anything. I was just like, making up a story as I go along. Sometimes I would make him tell me like, what is our future going to look like? Like, tell me what our future could look like in 10 years. And he would like make this whole story of our house with our white picket fence. <laughs> oh my god, like our dog and our <laughs> yeah. kids. And he is so relaxing. I would fall asleep to him talking to me on the phone. And then when we moved in together in college, he used to read me to sleep a ton. Remember we'd read hunger games. And yep. Yeah. So I get it, guys. He's got a really relaxing voice. Still to this day, I can like fall asleep to Josh talking. (laughs) And I'm so proud of you because this is something that's totally different than what you're doing right now. So it's it's like navigating a whole new world. But you're so naturally gifted with this stuff. And I think you really do have the ability to give people that peace that so many are looking for. Well, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. I think that with this sleep podcast, which by the way, this is, I'll tell you a little bit about it um, in case you're wondering. So basically what I did is I went out into the podcast universe. I started looking at what was out there already to help people fall asleep. And I found that there's really not that many. There's a few uh, big ones out there, but I was just like, you know, I listened to some of those. I was like, I can do this so much better. Like I'm going to do such a better, (laughs) such a Virgo, such a better podcast. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I decided that I was going to create a podcast that's kind of based on how I sort of what relaxes me and what has helped me over the years since I was a child really kind of fall into relaxation and ultimately sleep. And that has always been nature, Mm -hmm. nature and nature sounds and soothing music and things like that have always been what's just helped put me to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, what if I took those concepts and then couple it with my voice and a really descriptive sort of story sleep story almost educational story about the places that they take place right so i thought i'm gonna do that and so i called this podcast planet sleep because it's kind of a play on the planet earth series you know with david Mm -hmm. attenborough and you love that yeah i do i love so good it is so good it's It's so relaxing and just like he kind of transports you to different parts of the world Mm -hmm. so i kind of took that concept along with the cosmos series Uh, that Neil deGrasse Tyson does and kind of I'm going to kind of fuse everything together and create my own version of something called planet sleep where Mm -hmm. I'll be taking you all over the globe you know to the rainforest to the arctic to even outer space at some point and the whole time you're just going to be lulled to sleep with sounds and a beautiful story. And it is going to be available on YouTube a visual version but not of Josh how you're normally used to seeing him it will be a visual experience mm. of whatever he is talking about. He's working with Joel on that, his brother from Lights Out, who is super creative and yes, really getting into this me a project. Lot with, it, with the music. It's and- beautiful. It's really well done. I think you guys are going to like it. I'm going to listen to it. Like, yeah. I can't wait. So, so the podcast, it actually, the first episode drops on July 26th, mm. but the trailer is out there right now for you to go and listen to. 
I'd love it if you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify as well. And then we also have a Planet Sleep YouTube channel, which will put all the links for everything below for you guys to check out. So yeah, if you're looking for you know yet another source of, of material to fall asleep to, I hope you'll check out Planet Sleep. Add that to the list, baby. Yeah. yeah. We're just yeah. never just stopping keep, over keep here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need another one. Damn, the dogs should get one the, by now. Yeah, the pet should have a po- podcast. Pet podcast. Pup of the week. Never the ends. pet cast. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> but with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into this absolutely insane case. Oh, I have one little thing yeah. real fast. Just in case you missed last week, we are looking for graphic designers for new upcoming merch collections. We feel that it would be best to work with fans of our show who have that artistic ability versus just hiring designers that don't really understand what this show is. We want to make some something that really encapsulates who we are. Is that the right word? Encapsulates? Yeah. 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 That's right. Something like we that. We want something that encapsulates <laughs> us, you know, and we want you guys to help. So if you are interested, of course, we will commission you. So there's an application where you can list your rates and everything like that. And we are excited to get to work with some of you. So check that out. That'll be linked below. Also, we want to thank today's sponsors before we jump in. That is Native, Stitch Fix, Raycon, Warby Parker, and Pretty Litter. All right. You ready to get into this? Yeah, let's get into the story of Natalie Wood. Yeah, really her whole life story. So we're going to go back. So Natalie Wood was born Natalia Zakarenko on July 20th. 1938 in san francisco california i've also heard that she went by the name natasha around this age as well Um, her parents were both russian immigrants her father nikolai worked as a day laborer and a carpenter and her mother maria was a housewife so maria actually came from a pretty wealthy family and her mother was closely related to the romanovs which is a very famous Russian family. As a child, her family fled to China to escape the Bolsheviks in Russia, and she lived in Harbin, China for most of the 1920s. And during this time, she married her first husband, Alexander, and they had their first child in 1928, Natalie's half-sister, Olga. She divorced Alexander and married Nikolai in Russia in 1938, who embraced his role as Olga's stepfather. Nikolai's father has been part of the anti-Bolshevik forces and against the communist government, and he was killed in a street fight in 1918 during the Russian Civil War. With tensions continuing to rise in the country and Joseph Stalin's rise to power, Nikolai, Maria, and Olga fled to Montreal, Quebec, eventually moving to San Francisco, where Natalie was born. When Maria was a young girl in China, she dreamed of being an actress or a ballerina when she grew up. And she projected those dreams onto her youngest daughter. And since they couldn't afford acting classes, Maria would take Natalie to see movies starring child actors so that she could study their techniques and get inspired. Stories of Natalie's childhood allege that both parents were abusive in different ways. Nikolai was a heavy drinker who was prone to violent outbursts. Maria was emotionally manipulative and controlling, and she pushed Natalie into acting to make her the primary breadwinner of the family. Then when the family moved north to Santa Rosa, Crew members on a film shoot were impressed by the young beauty, and Maria was more determined than ever to push Natalie into acting. And she pushed her, pushed her. She was one of those moms for sure, like living through her child 1000% and convinced Natalie when she was so young that fame and stardom is everything. And it became something that she felt like was the driving force in her own life and a pressure that she couldn't shake. I mean, until she passed. 
The family moved again to Los Angeles, and Natalie started getting auditions. RKO Radio Pictures executives changed her name at that point to Natalie Wood, after the famous director Sam Wood. And Natalie was a little hesitant about this. She really loved her name and felt like she was kind of being forced into being a person that she wasn't. Right. Kind of a character versus who she really is. I couldn't imagine changing my name when I was a kid. You know, you get kind of, you're attached to your name, of course. Although I wanted to be Diamond Sparkle Rainbows for a while. (laughs) Oh my God. I was serious about it. Wow. (laughs) But Natalie got her first role in a major film when she was just five years old. She had 15 seconds of screen time in the movie Happy Land, which was released in 1943, as Little Girl Who Drops Ice Cream Cone. <laughs> yep. The director, Irving Pickle, was impressed with her performance and got in touch with her parents, eventually becoming a family friend. He helped Natalie get her big break as a child actor. She got an audition to play Margaret Ludwig, a German orphan in the film Tomorrow Is Forever, which was released in 1946. And Maria was desperate to get Natalie this part. But for the screen test, she would have to cry on cue. And while they waited, Maria told seven-year-old Natalie to pretend her dog was dead in order to get her to cry. When that didn't work, Maria caught a butterfly in a jar. And she loved butterflies. Natalie did. This is the most evil shit. So her mom literally captures a butterfly in the jar Mm -hmm. and then forces Natalie to watch her rip it apart into pieces. Rip the wings off of it, Mm -hmm. yeah. And... People that were there said that she was screaming pain Yeah, that sounded like it was coming deep from in her soul. Like it disturbed her. Yeah. Just hysterical. Can you imagine doing that to your kid just to get them to cry on yeah, a command? Yeah. It's so fucked up. And then Maria pulled her sobbing daughter in front of the camera as she yelled, she's ready. Ugh. Yeah. Oh my God. That's all she cared about. That's like abusive as fuck. Oh, she was terrible. Re- her mom was just fucking awful. In 1946, Natalie's younger sister, Svetlana, was born, and Natalie adored Svetlana, who was also becoming a child actor. She wanted, you know, two opportunities to get one of them famous. So she took the name Lana Wood after her big sister. Their parents took the names Nick and Maria Gurdon, and Maria served as Natalie's manager. From the outside, it looked like everything in their life was perfect. They were always dressed really nice, like well-kept, You know, they were just that perfect 40s, 50s family. Mm -hmm. Maria, of course, was heavily invested in her daughter's film career, controlling her audition schedule and her day-to-day life. What was very interesting is they were requiring Natalie to learn a lot of lines for her age and just expecting her to figure it out. Like, here they are, sit in your room till you get them. You better be ready to go by the set. I mean, can you imagine how... That would be at that age mm-hmm. so much oh, pressure. So much pressure. Yeah, you have to. That's ridiculous. I honestly. couldn't even read back then. Yeah, it's a great point, honestly. And in addition to pushing Natalie towards her own childhood dreams of becoming an actress, she also projected her fears on her. When Maria was a young girl living in China, she actually went to a fortune teller. And this fortune teller told her that her second child would be a great beauty known throughout the world. But she also gave Maria a grave warning to beware of dark water. And this fear really impacted Maria throughout her whole life. She was always terrified of water. And she definitely passed this on to Natalie. She wouldn't even allow Natalie to go near oceans, lakes, or even swimming pools because of her own fears. And of course, that's going to instill fear in your daughter. So Natalie never learned to swim. And she was always afraid of 
dark water. She specifically would say dark water when she would do interviews, lake water, ocean water. That was what she was afraid of most. In 1947, Natalie signed a contract with 20th Century Fox and starred as Susan Walker in Miracle on 34th Street. That's the first movie I saw her in. I remember my mom pointing out, that's Natalie Wood. And this was a huge success for her and definitely launched her career into the stardom area. Around 1949, she was cast in the movie The Green Promise and had to do this dramatic scene in a storm. And while filming, they had this like janky broken bridge set up. And while she was on it, it broke. She fell right through it and she broke her left wrist and nearly drowned. Not to mention she was absolutely petrified from the whole experience. There's a scene of it. We'll overlay it. And instead of stopping the scene, helping her and making sure she was okay, the director let the cameras continue to roll. And they used the take where she almost died in the final cut of the movie. Literally her trauma in the movie. It's there. You yeah, they're probably it. like, this is great. This yeah, is they're exactly. Like, oh, they're like, this is real. as real as, yeah, as, real as it gets. Authentic fear. Exactly. Yeah. Disgusting. Yep. And during all of it, her mom was just worried that they weren't going to be like mad at her if she didn't just get right back up and keep going that they would think she's a difficult actress. So she was basically like toughen up and get over it. Even though her mom also shares this fear and should be able to completely relate to her. Mm -hmm. The broken bone in her wrist didn't heal properly, which left her with a permanent protruding bone. And she was always really self-conscious about this throughout her life and would wear bulky bracelets or long sleeves all at all times to hide it. Which just shows you how much or how little the directors cared because it's like either either that or maybe they just didn't have yeah you know why did that happen why did her well she wrist... was never even brought into any type of medical treatment as far as i know i remember hearing that her mom didn't even bring her to the doctor so they're like all right slap they're a like, band-aid on it and yeah. you'll be good to go it'll, like, it'll go back brain. Yeah. yeah they probably never got like actually mm-hmm. x-rayed and died no it, and that's why it didn't heal right which I guess back then maybe it wasn't as common to right. like go if you were like, you know, yeah. hurt your wrist. But still, <laughs> actually, that happened to my mom when she oh, was a really? kid. Yeah, she broke her either her one of the bones in her legs or in her foot. And our grandma was a nurse and was like, you're fine. You're fine. And she looked at it and was. And so my mom went like a couple days before she actually oh, took her no. in. They were like, oh, yeah, that's fucking. Broken. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow. I know. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I know. So she was cast in over 20 movies, guys, before turning 18. And she starred along some big names like James Stewart, Fred McMurray, and Betty Davis. And according to California state law, she had to spend at least three hours a day on schoolwork while filming. And no matter how busy she was, she always did well in school. And there were times where they say people, I mean, you can't confirm this, but people who were on set claim that Natalie's mom would pay people off to allow her to continue working and be like, well, she's already done her school today. And then like hand them a wad of cash and an envelope did. and be like, just, just a few more hours. That like, she didn't give a all. shit at all. It's I'm sure all that about... kind of stuff happens now too though. Oh yeah. Directors like to work with Natalie because she was exceptionally smart for her age, mature and wise beyond her years. She was also a very hard worker and she learned every line in the script, not just her own. She was so good in front of the camera that she was given the nickname One Take Natalie. When she was a teenager, Maria would braid her hair and put her in little girl's clothes to keep her age down so she could keep getting cast as a child actor. But Natalie was sick of being controlled by her mother. I mean, her mom was just all over her for absolutely everything, controlling her entire life. 
And when she was 16, she felt like she wanted to grow up, get out of that a little bit, and maybe wanted an adult role. We are going to go ahead and take a quick ad break, and we will be right back. Natalie Wood's hard work and persistence really paid off, and eventually she was cast in Rebel Without a Cause, and in 1955, she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in her role in the film. Starring alongside James Dean, 16-year-old Natalie played Judy, a troubled teen who dressed in sexy clothes to get her father's attention. It was a salacious role, definitely out of the realm of what she was normally doing, and it helped Natalie bridge the gap between her child star career and her serious adult acting career. She was only five foot two, very petite, and she had a commanding presence on screen for such a small person. Her large brown eyes just captivated audiences and her ability to channel the emotional depth of her characters was just masterful. And even though she was only 16 years old, she ended up having a sexual relationship with 44-year-old director Nicholas Ray. And this started her down a path of dating and sleeping with co-stars like Dennis Hopper and other big names, including Elvis Presley. But the person she really wanted was Robert Wagner, a handsome actor who was just eight years older than her. At the time, he was just a crush, an unattainable older man. So Natalie put her focus on her career. She was cast in an emotionally charged role in The Searchers, starring John Wayne, where she played a kidnapped victim named Debbie, who was assumed to be brutally raped by her captors. When the film was released in 1956, it was a huge success and is actually still considered a masterpiece. That year, Natalie also graduated from high school and signed a contract with Warner Brothers Studios. After starring in The Searchers, she was ready to take on more complex, challenging roles. But that didn't happen. Instead, she was cast as mostly flat characters, usually the protagonist's pretty girlfriend that offered her no challenge or growth as an artist. She did get one thing she wanted, though. On her 18th birthday, she went on a date with her longtime crush, Robert Wagner. After that, the pair hit it off and started dating, and they actually got married on December 28, 1957. Then a director named Aaliyah Kazan cast her in his film Splendor in the Grass, starring Warren Beatty. Aaliyah believed Natalie had a Wanton side that is held down by social pressure, and he wanted to break down her barriers by stripping away her Hollywood glamour. And unlike other roles, there was no elegant wardrobe or a full face of makeup. Aaliyah wanted Natalie to be real. She was so self-conscious about her looks that she would often sneak makeup on set and put on rouge and lipstick behind the director's back. And this was an extremely transformative role for Natalie in multiple ways. There was a very emotional scene where her character was in a heated argument with her mother, played by Audrey Christie, while taking a bath. And I suggest looking this up. I don't I think we can put it in, actually. I don't think it's copyrighted, so we'll throw it in if we can. But it's it's definitely where she really broke out as an actress. Like her emotions in that scene are so real because she's drawing them up from her own experience with her mother and she's naked in the tub during it so she yeah she had to become completely hysterical during the scene showing that her character was kind of going mad in a way i have a mind to call that boy and tell him don't you dare don't you dare mom don't you dare mom if you do something like that i'll do something desperate I will. I will, Mom. I will. Tell me how serious they do and what they come. Dead. 
Did he spoil you? Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! She was worried about the scene, so before shooting, Aaliyah told her that if she couldn't do it well, they could reshoot it or just keep the camera on Audrey instead of her. And Natalie was offended and enraged by this suggestion that she couldn't do the scene, that you know she'd basically be cut out of it if she wasn't able to perform. So Aaliyah had done this on purpose. Natalie later said that this was his way of dealing with her, and it was obviously the correct way because they only shot it once and she nailed it the first time. And this scene was also one of the only times in her career that she allowed her disfigured left wrist to be filmed. In another scene, Natalie's character had to try to drown herself. And the director knew that she had this intense fear of water and had told her that she could do the scene in a controlled studio tank. But when it came time to film, he wanted it to be shot authentically. So they decided to do it at a lake. And he assured Natalie that this lake was shallow enough that her feet would nearly touch the bottom. This was hardly reassuring. She told him that even if her feet were planted firmly on the ground the whole time, she would still just be scared to death. So he positioned his assistant in the water right next to Natalie, just out of frame, so that he would be there if anything happened. So, reluctantly, she agreed. Once the scene was over, Natalie grabbed onto the assistant and refused to let go until they were out of the water. She continued to tremble with fear and then laughed hysterically with relief when she finally got back to shore. This film was released in 1961, and she was nominated for her first Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. She followed this up with a role as Maria in West Side Story, also in 1961, which was critically acclaimed and a commercial success. And then she landed the starring role in Gypsy in 1962, which was the highest grossing movie of the year. And it's a musical comedy drama about a burlesque dancer named Gypsy Rose Lee and her oppressive, domineering stage mother, Mama Rose. Gypsy was a heavy movie for Natalie because it seemed to borrow from her real experience with a controlling mother who had pushed her into show business. But as with the other roles, she used those emotions to channel a truly amazing performance. In 1962, she and Robert, the golden couple of Hollywood, devastated their fans when they called it quits and got divorced. Natalie started dating her co-star from Splendor in the Grass, Warren Beatty. Warren was a talented actor, but the crew had found him incredibly difficult to work with. It was his film debut, but he was already arrogant and smug. And the crew nicknamed him Mental Anguish, or M.A., and the director called him Snotty. Natalie's personal life made headlines as often as her acting roles. After she and Warren broke up, he dated her younger sister, Lana Wood, on and off for several years. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. And while the public speculated about how Warren and Lana's relationship affected Natalie, her career didn't skip a beat. She received a second Academy Award nomination for Best Actress in a Leading Role in 1963, for the critically acclaimed film Love with the Proper Stranger. At the time, Natalie was one of two actresses to receive three Academy Award nominations at just 25 years old. Super impressive. And this record wasn't beaten until 2013 when 23-year-old Jennifer Lawrence received her third nomination for American Hustle. 
Natalie just kept on acting and had several more film roles. But behind the scenes, her mental health was deteriorating. At this point, she had been in therapy for years and suffered from bouts of depression. But this time, it was much worse. Her failed relationships had affected her a lot more than the public knew. And in 1966, she tried to kill herself by overdosing on sleeping pills. After this, she decided that, you know what, I need to take a break from acting and just give myself time to recover, get my mental health in order. And she bought out her Warner Brothers contract for $175,000. She also dropped her manager, publicist, accountant, and legal team and didn't act for the next three years. On May 30th, 1969, she married writer and producer Richard Gregson. Around that time, she was feeling mentally well enough to start working again. And her comeback film was a hit comedy drama called Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, released in 1969. She got a percentage of the film's gross profit and ended up making about a million dollars, which is almost $7.5 million in today's money. In 1970, she found out she was pregnant with her first child, which she named Natasha. And she put her career on the back burner to be more present as a wife and a mother. But their marriage did not last. And in spring of 1972, she actually divorced Richard. And she, at some point, met up with Robert Wagner at some dinner party they were at, just a Hollywood party, and he was there. And he describes it as seeing her, they like locked eyes from across the room and knew it was just over. They were back in love again. And they, you know, their spark had never really died, essentially. So a few months later, on July 16th, she married Robert Wagner for the second time. And this time around, they were determined to make it work. Their fans celebrated their reunion and were thrilled when the couple had their first child together, a daughter named Courtney, born in 1974. And right after this, Robert's career skyrocketed with his hit TV series, Heart to Heart. But for Natalie, it was still hard to find work as a woman over 40. And to make things worse, her father actually died in November of 1980. She did a few more films and landed multiple TV roles as well, including some made-for-TV movies and this popular miniseries called From Here to Eternity. And her last movie was called Brainstorm, which was a sci-fi thriller starring Christopher Walken. It was filmed in 1981, but wasn't released until 1983. After Brainstorm wrapped, Natalie was planning for her theatrical debut and was set to star in a production of Anastasia in 1982. But before rehearsal started on the theater production, Natalie and Robert decided to take a trip to Catalina Island the weekend after Thanksgiving. They also invited along their friend, Christopher Walken, and he had just won an Academy Award for the movie The Deer Hunter, and his film career was really taking off. He and Natalie had actually played a husband-wife scientist team in Brainstorm, and because she was five years older than Chris, she worried that she was too old for the part. The two of them ended up hitting it off, and they had a great on-screen chemistry and became close friends. And such a good on-screen chemistry that people started to start rumors that maybe they were, you know, hooking up or had kind of a little emotional affair going on at least. And And this was reported in tabloids and stuff. And of course, that did not make Robert happy. No, no, no. And despite Natalie's fear of water, she enjoyed going out on Robert's 55 foot yacht Splendor. In a 1979 interview, she said it was a good way for their family to spend time together away from the public eye. Yeah, I can see that. So on the last weekend in November 1981, the three actors boarded the Splendor. The fourth person on the yacht was another friend named Dennis Davern. 
He was a Navy vet who served as the yacht's captain for the weekend. On Saturday, November 28th, the group took the yacht's dinghy, the Valiant, out to Catalina Island to have dinner. They all drank through dinner and were pretty drunk by the time they got back to the yacht around 10 o'clock. It had been raining and the deck was slippery. Natalie went back to the couple's cabin around 10.45 to go to bed. But the men stayed up drinking and talking in the galley for a lot longer before Robert decided to join Natalie in the cabin. But when he got there, he said that she wasn't in the bed. He searched the yacht, but she was nowhere to be found. He got Chris and Dennis to help him search, and they saw that the dinghy was missing. So the men radioed for help, but not for about an hour and a half after she first went missing, which we'll talk more about that. But Harbor Patrol was the first to respond and started searching the water. Soon, the Coast Guard responded as well and scoured the coastline. And even just random people started joining in, like different boat captains or people working along the shore. Everyone was, you know, had flashlights out and was trying to look. It's super, super dark. Yeah. And then like they're in like this cove. So it's like, you know, unless she just went out to open sea, which would not be something she'd do. She, no. she was probably close. Right. And just to, for those that don't know, a dinghy is like a little like inflatable boat pretty much that they mm-hmm. use to transport to and people to and from the shore so that the yacht can stay out in deeper waters. Yeah. A helicopter from the sheriff's department spotted something in the water off Catalina Island. It was the body of 43-year-old Natalie Wood. She was still wearing a flannel nightgown, socks, and a down jacket, and the dinghy was found near her body about a mile from the yacht. Natalie was pronounced dead at 7.44 a.m. on Sunday, November 29, 1981, and the L.A. County coroner Thomas Noguchi classified her death as an accident and probable drowning in the ocean. In his report, Thomas noted that Natalie had numerous bruises to her arms and legs, and these bruises were superficial and probably sustained at the time of drowning. He also concluded that no other trauma was noted and foul play is not suspected at this time. The theory was that Natalie had heard the dinghy banging against the side of the yacht when she was trying to go to sleep. So she put her coat on over her nightgown and wandered out to the deck to secure it. Yeah, sounds like something who's terrified of water would do what the hell and there's two men and the actual yacht captain who should be doing that anyway yeah and she was out there in her pajamas on the side of a boat at night when she's especially afraid of dark water she always used the term dark water Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and according to the coroner's actual theory he said that she was still very drunk and in the process she slipped into the water and hit her head which then knocked her unconscious and therefore she then drowned So wouldn't she be right near the boat? Right. Mm -hmm. You would think. You would think. Christopher Walken had actually told authorities that him and Robert had gotten into a small beef about Natalie's decision to take a break from acting to raise her kids. Robert angrily told him to stay out of their business. The fight was short-lived and everyone had apologized and were fined by the time Natalie went to bed. And with no reason to suspect foul play, the case was officially closed. And Natalie was buried at Los Angeles's Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery on December 3rd. Robert was devastated and sobbed through the service, comforted by a large group of the couple's famous friends. All right, now we're going to move into the investigation and more of the real details about what might have really happened to Natalie Wood. But before we do, we're going to take one more ad break and we'll be right back. So if you're familiar with this case, you know that there is a lot more than what the initial investigation was giving out. And as more details start to come out about her suspicious drowning, people started to have more questions. And over time, it seems like every couple of months, new little nuggets would come out that would make you think, 
Hmm. Sounds like something fishy is going on here. So the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department reopened the case in November of 2011 because there was so much speculation. And during all that time, they kept receiving more and more tips that made a lot of sense. Plus the boat's captain for the night, Dennis Deverne, comes forward eventually too with some pretty wild information. But they did announce in 2011 that they had received new information. I mean, years and years after this happened, And this prompted their decision to reopen the case, but they would not release what the information was. They said Robert Wagner wasn't a suspect and no suspect was named. Because there were no charges against him, Robert didn't have to agree to be questioned again. He was questioned originally, told them his story, and never wanted to really talk about it again. I mean, he'll barely talk about it in interviews. There's a few brief moments here and there, but for the most part, his lips have been sealed. So investigators tried to interview him at least 10 times after the case was reopened in 2011, but he always continued to refuse. And then in June of 2012, Natalie's death was changed from accident to undetermined on her death certificate. It took 30 years for authorities to finally conduct a proper investigation into her death. And that's when we found out way more information about that night. A lot of people blamed her for being drunk and out on the water. And when her cause of death was changed, everything we thought we knew about what happened that night went kind of right out the window. In February 2018, Captain Christopher Bergner of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department held a press conference about the case. He basically said that new witnesses have come forward that have helped investigators create an alternate timeline for the night that Natalie died, including when the men of the yacht radioed for help. These witnesses were people who had been docked on shore the night that Natalie died. At this point, Robert Wagner is 88 years old. And back then, he was the last one to see Natalie alive. So with this new information, he was now a person of interest in the case. They wanted to question him again and get his response to this alternative timeline they were starting to build. So Dennis Davern or Deverne. I'm not really sure. I've heard it said both ways, but he was the captain of the Splendor. He ended up doing an interview with an author named Suzanne Finstad, and it turns out that he didn't tell the authorities the full story of what happened after Natalie's body was found. So she published his new version of events that he said he was too afraid to say all these years in her 2009 book, Natasha, the biography of Natalie Wood. So he ended up claiming that after Natalie's body was found, Robert told him and Christopher Walken that they had to stick to their original story, that Natalie went right to bed. Robert discovered that she and the dinghy were gone, and they radioed for help immediately. Before the press conference, investigators interviewed Dennis and witnesses from the surrounding boats, witnesses who saw the group on Catalina Island that night, and others who knew Natalie and Robert personally. And through these interviews, they pieced together a completely new version of the story. On Saturday, November 28, 1981, Natalie went out to Catalina Island with Christopher Walken, and the two of them sat at the bar for hours drinking and having a great time. Robert was jealous of his wife's close relationship with her former co-star. He thought they were too close and suspected something more than friendship was going on between them. He and Dennis met them at the bar And as soon as Robert saw Natalie and Chris together, he got very angry. They all had dinner together at Doug's Harbor Reef restaurant, and the four of them drank a lot. They had multiple cocktails, champagne, and two bottles of wine. Natalie and Chris were very flirty with each other, 
and the tension between Robert and Chris was building all evening long. At one point, one of them smashed a glass against the wall. The restaurant staff was nervous and alerted the manager, who kept a close eye on the group. They then left shortly after 10 o'clock and took Valiant, the inflatable dinghy, back to the yacht. When they got back, they kept drinking in the galley, and the tension spilled over into a full-blown fight between Robert and Chris. Which was super downplayed by Christopher Walken originally. Right. They argued over Natalie, and Robert wanted her to stay home and be a wife and a mom, while Chris thought she was too talented to stay out of the spotlight. At some point, Natalie left and went back to her cabin, leaving the men to fight. Robert ended up breaking a bottle of wine and demanded to know if Chris was trying to sleep with Natalie. Chris then stormed off and Robert went to confront Natalie in the cabin. And Natalie tried to get away from him by going on the deck, but he followed her. They argued loudly and Robert yelled, Get off my fucking boat, followed by thumping sounds. Dennis eventually went out to make sure everything was okay. But Robert was alone on the deck, sweaty and disheveled, and Dennis assumed Natalie went to bed. The two men kept drinking for a while before Robert supposedly went to check on Natalie. He told Dennis she was missing and they searched the yacht. Neither of them found her, and then they discovered that the dinghy was missing too. Dennis thought it seemed unlikely that Natalie would go out on the water by herself, but she was pretty drunk, so maybe. And maybe she just wasn't thinking straight. Robert refused to turn on the yacht's floodlights or call for help because he was afraid of attracting attention And, you know, getting bad publicity if people discover what had happened. Meanwhile, a woman named Marilyn Wayne was in another boat docked about 80 feet away from the Splendor. Around 11 o'clock, she heard a woman yelling, Somebody please help me. I'm drowning. Marilyn's boyfriend tried to radio the harbor master for help, but he didn't get an answer. They considered jumping into the water, but it was pitch dark. And they couldn't see the woman. Plus, the water was freezing cold. The yelling lasted nearly 30 minutes, and around 11.30 it stopped and everything went silent. There was another boat docked nearby with several people on deck, and it looked like they were having a party. Marilyn and her boyfriend wondered if someone at the party was playing a prank. Robert Wagner finally radioed for help at 1.30am. When Natalie's body was found, she was dressed for bed, wearing her nightgown and socks, while also wearing a warm-down jacket. And because she was wearing a jacket, she must have gone out onto the deck on her own. But her sister Lana has been adamant that Natalie would never try to go out on the water by herself in just a nightgown and a coat. If she was trying to leave, she would have gotten dressed or at the very least put on a pair of shoes. Especially if she was going to go back to shore, was planning on leaving on the dinghy. I mean, this woman was so fabulous. She wouldn't be caught dead just out in socks and a nightgown in public. And after Suzanne Finstad's book was published, another witness came forward and told her that after Natalie drowned, Dennis had called them panicked and said Natalie Wood had gone overboard that night. Another witness by the name of Dr. Michael Franco came forward. He was an intern at the LA coroner's office when Natalie's body was brought in, and he had thought that the bruises on her body looked like she was pushed. There was also a suspicious scrape-type bruise on her left cheek. The bruises on her legs also looked like friction burns. They were on her lower anterior thighs and shins, and were in the opposite direction of someone getting onto the boat. The only way for her to get such noticeable bruising was if someone had forcefully pushed or pulled her, and there was evidence of a back-and-forth struggle. When he questioned these injuries, the coroner told him, some things are best left unsaid. That's not sketchy at all. Sounds like someone got paid. Yeah, sounds like somebody's covering up something. Yep. 
Other witnesses who saw pictures of Natalie's body were troubled by the severity of her head wounds, claiming it looked like she had been in a violent fight and then was pushed or thrown into the water. Investigators still don't know exactly when Natalie went into the water or if it was intentional or an accident. And they don't know if anyone who was there that night holds the answer to the mystery of the death of Natalie Wood or if the answer died along with her. So that leads us to theories mm-hmm. is really where this whole case kind of leaves off of what are the possible outcomes that could have happened here? Well, I mean, when you hear that version of events from Dennis, which that's the thing is so many people have tried to discredit Dennis over the years said, you know, he, whatever, but I don't think someone would just completely make this up. And of course people always bring up, Oh, they just want attention. They just want clout. But why, what would, what is he gaining from this? And his version of events makes total sense. And with how sketchy Christopher Walken has even been about it, like scared to talk about it, he will barely ever bring it up. It makes you wonder if that, I mean, that story makes total sense, especially the fact that it lines up with what the witnesses were saying at the bar that night or at wherever they were, the restaurant and how he smashed something there. There's evidence that he smashed the wine bottle. So clearly this guy has anger issues and the jealousy thing was eating him alive. I mean, remember they weren't together for years. He watched her be with other men and have children with other men. And that jealousy, I think builds up and that fear that, Oh, she's going to run off with this younger guy. Christopher Walken was really good looking back then. And Natalie seemed very charmed by him. So it really all makes sense. They were having some type of argument. She, she was like, you know what? I can't even deal with you guys went to her room. He broke the wine bottle then went over and continued the fight with Natalie. She was probably mad at him for causing a scene. Who knows if anything was happening between her and Chris probably wasn't. And he freaked out at her. They probably, I bet he followed her out onto the deck or brought her out there possibly. Mm -hmm. And in a moment of rage felt like, Oh, you're here with this guy on my boat. This is my boat. Get the fuck off my boat and pushed her off. Mm -hmm. And it's literally the perfect murder weapon really, because it's like, you know, he he probably knows that I can make this look like an accidental drowning because yeah. she can't swim mm-hmm. and it's dark and we've been drinking. Yeah. Or or for all we know, it could have been a total plan in motion the entire night for all we know. It could have been. It, of course, it could have been premeditated. My gut feeling. Feel, this was I like feel a like it was rage. More, yeah, he was incident. really drunk and mad. What do you think? I almost feel like he didn't necessarily like think like, oh, I'm going to kill her in this moment. But he mm-hmm. was like drunk and pissed off and maybe like wanted to you know, show that he's more powerful than her, want to scare the shit out of her or whatever, and knew that like, oh, if I push her, like chances are she may not drown. Like, you yeah, know, she'll she'll figure it out. I mean, if he was intoxicated, so who knows, but I could see him, you know, trying to just scare her or overpower her. And then because he was drunk, he didn't realize, but she will drown most likely. It's pitch black. It's in dark water. Mm-hmm. And it's cold. It's too. cold as fuck. Right. And she was probably drinking as well. So it's like, you know, all these terrible things equate to a recipe for disaster yes and dennis davern davern even said that at one point when he was like well shouldn't we turn on the floodlights should we start looking for he for her he said nah let's teach her a lesson and i almost believe he maybe believed it like don't fuck with me i'm gonna scare the shit out of you again type of thing i don't know if necessarily i bought this boat right i mean i don't know he could have gone in there with the intention of killing her but some Something just kind of makes me think because there was alcohol involved and he was already really pissed that he could just try, 
you know, he was trying to like scare her and show her like, I'm in mm-hmm. charge. Don't fuck with me type of thing. Yeah. And you'd think maybe he would push her in and then like try to get her back out. But he just let her yeah. drown. And according to witnesses, she's screaming in the water for, for help, up to yeah. 30 right. minutes. And, and he just, tall. what an evil fuck when he knows her deepest fear in the world to her core from her childhood is drowning in dark mm-hmm. water. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, clearly, like, if all these other witnesses could hear her, mm-hmm. what are the chances that they can't hear her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very slim. And not... it just all lines up. Yeah. well, People and, saw uh, them at the bar right. doing shit, too. So, right. I, mean, I mean, that obviously continued. They didn't just go back and sing Kumbaya on right. the boat. So... Well, I think also you have to look at the autopsy uh, report and what mm-hmm. the you know coroner found, and yeah, it was very clear, especially now that we know the coroner just kind of like you know wrapped it up real quick and didn't really think too yeah. hard on it, and just oh, accidental, mm-hmm. face closed, moving on. But when you actually look at the report, it shows you. I mean, she it almost looks like maybe she got pushed around a bit mm-hmm. beforehand, mm-hmm. like. You know, maybe they were in Robert and her were in their room and then he started pushing her around, eventually pushed her out the door, ended up pushing Mm -hmm. her off of the boat, you know, because this whole idea that this was an accident. She just went down to try to secure the dinghy after a night of drinking because it was keeping her away to leave. Right. Or to get off the boat and and go back to she would never do that. She would never just did she even know how to use a dinghy? No, probably. No. Yeah. Why yeah. would she know how to do it? Start up one of those engines and get into yeah. it and like unlatch and then. Right. Lap. No way. I mean, I don't know anyone who really thinks she drowned. I'm sure there's people out there, but it seems really fucking obvious that there's a lot more to this. Mm-hmm. So the other well, she did drown. But right. I'm you know what I meant? The other. She yeah. Accidentally got into the water somehow. That just does not seem plausible. Someone pushed her in mm-hmm. or she jumped in to commit suicide. That's another theory that this was like a suicide attempt. She did commit, try to commit suicide prior mm. in her life. Could it have been possible that she was drunk enough that she, and she was depressed enough that maybe she just was like, screw it. I'm going to jump in the water. I don't think she would do it in that way. If she was going to do it. I just don't think that like there, there's so many other ways to do it. That's less scary for you personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why would you do your biggest fear? Right. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but Sometimes it just doesn't yeah, make sense I mean, why it, people do things. Sure. Could it have happened? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, maybe could it have been that they were fighting and then she was like, I'm going to like, like use it as a threat. Like I'm going to, you know, jump off this boat yeah. and end my life here if you don't stop type of thing. And then she did it because she was also intoxicated or just yeah, like possibly. in the heat of the moment or something. And but if went, he was there, wouldn't he have like jumped in and tried or to maybe, save her? Well, he was like, oh, you fucking did that to yourself. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm totally speculating. Lesson. Yeah, like, I, know. I really don't know. Well, that's all this case is a speculation at the end of the day because none of us were there. Right. We don't know what really happened. And the investigation really didn't start for years and years and years after. Yeah. Like we didn't even know all these details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're now just really starting to, to look at everything a lot mm-hmm. deeper. Well, this is something interesting, too, I wanted to bring up about Natalie's childhood and sort of her dark past because um, it, it kind of, I don't know, She it would make sense why she may have been mentally just not in the best place. So there are sources that have claimed that Natalie's mother pimped her out to Frank Sinatra when she was just 15 years old. Jesus. She was forced into a sexual relationship with director Nicholas Ray when she was 16 in order to get a part. She was forced to return an engagement ring to her high school boyfriend, and after she left him, he tried to kill himself. 
Um, he, she also took the blame publicly for her and Robert Wagner's first divorce and didn't deny the false rumors that she had had an affair with Warren Beatty. And according to her sister, Lana, the marriage really ended after Natalie caught Robert having sex with a man. So she was trained from the time Damn. she was a child by her stage mother to stay quiet, not rock the boat and do as she was told. Mm. And that's what she did to protect the men in her life. Seems like she probably had a lot of secrets. Yeah. I mean, she was exploited by older men, famous yeah. men, directors, film studio executives, and even men she dated her whole and life. And with what we know about Hollywood, yeah. that's also that aligns perfectly yeah. as a child star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so many of them go through these things. And so of course you could think suicide and she did at one point, attempt with mm -hmm. pills but i just don't think in this situation i d do not think she would jump off into yeah. the water that's yeah. not the way she's i mean fuck what do i know at the end of the day no one really knows maybe she maybe she really did but that seems incredibly unlikely knowing the rest of the information yeah no that's well, true also makes you think that like even if she did purposely jump off and she's screaming for help. So wouldn't someone go save her? Right. Where's fucking Robert? Right. They're on the yacht right next to her. And he was like, well, well, there's an interview with him. And he goes, well, you know, she was down there and drowning. Yeah, and we I was didn't know. Here. We it's were up on the big. top of the boat. He's like, you know, we were on the top. She no. was on the bottom. He was like trying to show. No, it's no, like, no, no, dude, it's, it's a 55 or 60 foot yacht is not that big. And it's not that tall. So where you would definitely hear somebody screaming for help, especially if people that far away could hear yeah, it. I was gonna say. Right doesn't make any sense no i think it's pretty clear that these rich powerful men covered this up somehow mm -hmm. you know yeah who they paid off i don't know seems like the coroner definitely was i mean he wasn't being completely forthcoming with the information he actually found when he did the autopsy but yeah i, I wonder what christopher walken really knows because I, know. yeah. I mean for all we know he may have missed all of it and just woke up mm -hmm. to this yeah where he was so drunk he just like doesn't, doesn't remember, remember anything yeah. he's just freaked out by the whole thing but yeah i find it odd he hasn't spoken much about this it's kind of creepy well i mean he probably Robert, wants to stay out of it yeah. as much as he can yeah i guess because i mean now they're Natalie's trying friend. to i mean it's just so fucked up i know i know it's really sad honestly she had such a tragic life such a beautiful life but mm -hmm. such a tragic life just from beginning to end you know yeah. Just goes to show you some of the most beautiful people out there. Some of these celebrities we look up to, like sometimes they really are going through some of the worst shit, like things <laughs> like, we couldn't even imagine. It reminds me of Britney Spears in a way, yeah, like, me to too. some degree of like the child star working since she was a little mm -hmm. taught basically and like going through all this abuse and just being manipulated by Hollywood and like men in power and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, when they first announced in 2018 that they were going to try to interview him again and really piece this together. Uh, I was hoping we'd hear something by now, 2021, but it's been kind of silent as far as this case goes, but I really hope they're working behind the scenes. It's just hard because there's so much time that's gone by. Robert Wagner's really old now. 91. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not, not going to be around much longer. No, there's not much time to get her justice. I was going to say, what, what does that even look like if they were able to prove that, he somehow i mean at the end of the day i don't think they're going to be able to do much mm -mm. even if they were to bring, bring charges against him i don't know if they could ever prove premeditation you know it would probably be like what manslaughter or something like that mm -hmm. probably that would be brought against one of them yeah. whoever is responsible but yeah unfortunately i don't think 
much is really going to ever come out of this. I mean, maybe we'll know. Maybe Robert will say on his deathbed or something. I mean, sometimes mm, people do confess maybe. things like that, you know, right before they pass. But it really doesn't do anybody. Well, much even good. if they were able to solve it and give some closure to her family in the end, even if he's not around to pay the price, yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be good. But yeah, I mean, it's just like it's him waiting so long too. Like, who knows what he did in that fucking hour and a half before he called. And he said it was to minimize publicity. Dude, I'm sorry. Your priorities have got to be so fucked if (laughs) your wife is drowning in the water and you're worried about the publicity. That TMZ is going to pop out or something. Mm -hmm. That's just, I understand like even with Marilyn Monroe's death, they tried to keep it quiet at first to avoid the publicity of them coming to her house and exposing Mm -hmm. it all. I understand that. But in this case, it does not make any sense. This This is an emergency. It's just... It's Ugh. very sus. Very sus. Yeah, that's like, oh my God. If he had called right away, maybe I'd feel a little different about him. But that, who knows what he was cleaning up, what he was it's fucking true. doing. Some of the things he said during that time, according to other people, is just flat out whack and makes no sense for someone who is looking for their wife who's overboard in the middle of the night. It's just mm-hmm. like, come on. It seems so fucking obvious, right? I mean, I want to know if there's anyone who disagrees and thinks that this really was an accident. And if you do, I respect your opinion. I want to hear it. But yeah, it would take a lot to convince me that there wasn't foul play here because. Yeah, me too. There's no fucking way she got in that boat. No. Or no. got in the water. I think. Purpose. Right. I think the, the autopsy report just, just proves that there is a. Yep. And, and they already said there was a fight. There's a struggle. She was involved in it. And right. It escalated and then yeah. ended up with her overboard. It really does make complete sense. It really does. So that is where we'll wrap it up today. Yep. Uh, definitely let us know your thoughts on this case Mm -hmm. and what you think happened to Natalie Wood. But we will go ahead and see you guys next week with another episode Mm -hmm. of the Mile Higher Podcast. Yep. And also make sure you check out Planet Sleep. Very excited to see what what y'all think about that. Get your snooze on. (laughs) Yeah, or just just chill out. Maybe you're at work. You just need to take a few minutes to relax for a bit. It's kind of meditative, I was going to say, it could be used as a meditation. Totally. totally yeah it's totally it's like, like a like nice that. visualization it is so i'll have all the links below also make sure you subscribe to the mile higher podcast on youtube and apple podcasts leave us ratings and reviews we do really appreciate it but that is it that is all the things that is all until next time make sure to continue taking your mind a mile higher and we will see you, you on the next show <laughs>